call the Lord. And how God speaks to His church. Because if we don't know how to hear from the Lord, how's God going to speak to His church? How's God going to do anything in the world around us? How's God going to combat um, wickedness that's in the world around us? How many know there's wickedness all around you? And wickedness can and will destroy you and the people you love. So it's real important that together we hear from the Holy Spirit today and we begin to hear His voice every day individually, not from a pastor, but every individual has to hear the call of the Lord because we need an army out there. Praise God. Turn, if you would, to Ezekiel 23.30 or 22.30. Ezekiel 22.30, it says... I look for a man among them. Now this is God talking about his own Jerusalem um, that he didn't want to destroy. There was wickedness in Jerusalem and wickedness in the nation and that was God's people and he didn't want to destroy that nation. And he said, I look for a man among them who would build up a wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found, what's that word say? None. So I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with a fiery anger, bringing down on their heads all that they have done, declares the Sovereign Lord. What a sad commentary there. Turn to Second Second Chronicles. 7.14 Chronicles 2 Chronicles 7.14 Very well known verse A lot of you might have this one memorized One is at the end You know where they're about to be destroyed And God can't find anybody to stand in the gap For the people He's looking and he can't find anybody to stand in the gap and intercede Second Chronicles 7.14 is toward the beginning of this nation. Solomon is the king. Uh, they just built the, the temple, Solomon's temple. And they're dedicating the temple. And right when the temple's dedicated, the Spirit of God fills the house. And God says this, a very familiar scripture. If my people who are called by my name, that's us, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal heal their land. And that's not talking about the wicked. That's talking about us seeking God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much, Lord. And Lord, you've called us, Lord, to this ministry, Lord. Seek your face. Lord, bless your word, Lord. Speak your word. In your name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. Praise the Lord. Last week I talked about being... um, Priests unto God. Like doing our spiritual duty that God has called us all to be priests 
after the order of Melchizedek. God's called us to be kings and priests. Well, man, we can't be called to be a priest and have no duties. You know, part of our duties as priests is this ministry of prayer and seeking the face of God and, and, and on behalf of the people that live in our land, having a responsibility to be in front of God, seeking His face with certain petitions in our hand. And if we as a church, and I'm not just talking about this church, but we as the church as a whole in the United States of America and across the world, if we fail as priests, the land will suffer destruction. And the problems that we have in this country aren't the wickedness that are in Washington, D.C., but there is wickedness in Washington, D.C. It's not the Democrats, it's not the Republicans, it's not the liberal, it's not the conservative. It's because God's people are not doing their priestly duties. We're not seeking the face of God because God said if we'll seek His face, He'll heal our land. If we will turn from our sins, He'll hear us. That's what that scripture says. God's making a promise at the beginning of this nation, very early on when they're a united kingdom, the temple of the Lord's being dedicated, it's full of the Holy Spirit, and He says, if you will humble yourselves and seek My face, I will heal your land. The very end He's saying, I can't find anybody who will stand in the gap. So God's calling us to the ministry, the priestly ministry of prayer. And fortunately or unfortunately, it's just a reality, there's no shortcuts to prayer. It's, oh, there has to be a shortcut. There's a shortcut for everything in America. There's got to be a microwave formula to help me be better at prayer. There's got to be something that I can do to make this thing easy. Can you streamline this for me? You know, is there something that we can do to make this have some kind of a shortcut? Because obviously we need to do it, and obviously I don't have time. That's how we think, right? But unfortunately, there's no shortcuts to prayer. And there's no other way for God to heal our land and spare our people, the people that we love and ourselves, than to pray. So we, we, we'd better as a people commit ourselves to be praying people. This church has to commit itself. I don't know what your motivations are when you walk into the house of God. I don't really know what it is. I don't know if it's good. I don't know if it's bad. I don't know if it's selfish. I don't know if it's giving. But we had better start Seeking the face of God. We have to begin seeking the face of God. If we're too busy to pray, we're just too busy. We're just too busy. You say, well, that's a good subject you're studying today. I'll work on that subject, and the next week it'll be a compartmentalized, different subject. 
No, this is the subject. Today, tomorrow, and forever. If we're too busy to pray as a church, we're too busy. And God, God's calling us. In fact, the title of my sermon is Continual Prayer. How do you get continual prayer? I'm going to read some scriptures here that just talks about key times in the Bible and in history where there was continual prayer. And uh, one thing I know for sure, Psalm 37, 3 and 4 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture and delight yourself in the Lord. Hmm. I know one thing, if prayer is ever going to have a chance, if, if prayer is ever going to find a place in this church, mark that word delight. Is there anything you delight in? Okay, I'm going to explain, I'm going to define the word delight. Big, thick, well-cooked steak. I just defined it. Oh, big, giant bowl, hot fudge Sunday. Woo! I'm getting some shouting in the house now. <laughs> Think about your hobby. We don't use the word much anymore, but I delight in that. Man, I love doing insert here in this space. What is it that you delight in? Wouldn't it be cruel of God to put this in the Bible that we should delight in Him if there's not a possibility of every single human being delighting in Him? And so the key for God to make this a praying church, and you say, well, we pray more than the other church. That's the problem. Because we may pray more than the other churches, and that scares me. Because we're not praying enough. And what God wants us to do is He wants us to delight in Him. Like I, I've been, I was telling Him uh, that prayer on Thursday. I've been reading a uh, book, and, and, and largely this message, a lot of the outline, a lot of the scriptures in this message is from a book I've been reading from Dr. Yonggi Cho. And uh, he pastors the largest church in the world, and, and there's, I don't even know how many are in attendance in that church now. It's over a million. And uh, it's been the largest church in the world since the 1980s. But I wanted to find out you know, what was on this guy's mind before they became the largest church in the world. Because God has done amazing things in that church. And it's real. It's not just like a marketing scheme. And so everything he talks about is prayer. It's all about prayer. Everything's about prayer. And he said, um, I bring American pastors over and he said, um, they're shocked when they find out after the service, we spend three or four hours in the prayer room because we love it. And they're shocked that we're not going out to eat. And I'm not suggesting we stop going out to eat to pray because he said that. What I'm suggesting is, I want to see God's Spirit do such a work in our church that that is totally a legitimate thing to say. I really love that more than going out to eat. 
See, because if you do it because it's a formula, it's not delight. But if you legitimately have a steak here or Mexican or really good pizza, or I'm just going to sweeten it up a little bit, the deal. And over here is time in His presence in a prayer room, seeking His face. If the prayer room isn't more exciting, then the Spirit hasn't done His work yet. And some of you intercessors get a hold of that. Get a hold of it because that's my prayer. That's what God is putting in the heart of intercessors because, you know what, I can't work up that kind of delight. Spirit can, though. The Spirit can make us so excited to be in God's presence that, man, eating out really pales in comparison. The fall festival really pales in comparison. All these other things in life pale in comparison because my delight is in the Lord. And I truly, in the bottom of my heart, love it more than that. And when God begins to do that work in this church, look out. You say, well, what's going to happen? We're going to numerically grow? We're going to financially be wealthy? I don't care. I want Him. I want to be full from His table. I want God to fill me so full that the fullness of the Holy Spirit is all over me. And what God wants to do at that point, that's His business. But man, I want to be satisfied at the table of the Lord. I want to desire Him. I want to delight in Him. I want to seek His face like I never had before in my life. And I'm I'm begging you right now, intercessors, get a hold of this. Because it will never happen in this church until we grab a hold of it and say, God, do that. Do that. I'm not letting go until you do that, God. Until you begin to do that. You begin to do that in our church. You begin to do that in our city. You begin to do that in our land. Raise up people that delight in the Lord and love His presence. And that's where we want to be. Church, I'm I'm hungry for it. I want it more than anything. But continual prayer. Let me go back to this. Luke 24, 50-53. says, He led them as far as Bethany. This is the very end of the book of Luke. Now how many know Luke and the book of Acts are kind of a continuous history? Luke wrote both of them, so he ends one book and begins the next book, Acts. Okay, So the very end of Luke, it says, And He led them out as far as Bethany. He lifted up His hands and blessed them. Jesus ascends came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. What did they do after he went up into heaven? They worshipped him. Returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And listen to this, they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. That's how it ends. And then it picks up in Acts. Chapter 1, I'm going to skip down to verse 10. It says, they were looking intently into the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing at the sky? The same Jesus who was taken from you will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill of the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs in the room and they were, where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, Simon the Zealot, 
Judas, son of James. And look at this verse. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. You see this continually in prayer. You say, well, they were just excited. They seen him ascend into heaven and he was resurrected and they were just kind of excited about that. So it makes sense that they would be continually seeking God. Then you begin to see in Acts 2.1, the day of Pentecost fully came. They were all together in one place and suddenly a sound like a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house. They were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came and rested on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So constantly praying and seeking the face of God, delighting in His presence, and God begins to pour His Spirit out upon them, and they begin to come out of that room, 120 people, and turn the world upside down. we go a little further. Acts 3. Verse 1, one day Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Their regular custom. 3 in the afternoon, they're going to pray in the temple of God, and as they're walking to pray, it says, Now a man who was lame from birth was carried to the temple called Beautiful, where he put, was put every day to beg, the temple courts, when they saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him and said, as did John, then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Peter said, silver and gold have I not, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Walk, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people seen him walking and praising God, they recognized the same man who used to beg at the temple called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. These men had already been blown on, and in the end of John it says they received the Holy Spirit. Now in the room of prayer, constantly praying, the Holy Spirit rushed upon them, and something changed. Something changed in the demeanor, the attitude, the actions, everything that they were doing, and they walked to the place of prayer, and you begin to see what's called a manifestation meaning the Spirit in them becoming obvious to the people around them. And that manifestation was the healing of a man that had been crippled since a very young age. They were in prayer constantly, and God was beginning to manifest His Spirit through them because they were full of the Holy Spirit. And it goes on, and it says in Acts chapter 13, The church of Jerusalem, miracles and signs and wonders were happening everywhere to the point that the government began to persecute them. They began to scatter. And it says in the church at Antioch, now in the church at Antioch, this is 13.1 in Acts. Church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manane, and Saul. This is Paul. While they were worshiping, what were they doing? They were worshiping the Lord and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, You see who this quote is of? 
the Holy Spirit is speaking out of their prayer meeting. The Holy Spirit is in control of this church in Antioch. It says, The Holy Spirit said, Set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The rest of the book of Acts, you see this strange character called the Holy Spirit. And he begins to say, go here, go there, I'm calling to you here, I'm calling you there, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, lay your hands on this person, speak this to that person, lay your hands on this person, preach this gospel this way in this place. You see, the Holy Spirit's directing everything. And it all happened because they constantly were in prayer. So I want to really figure out what's happening in prayer that's causing this behavior to happen because we need it. We need the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in about a 100,000 different ways. And if we don't have the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, you know what we have? The intelligence of man, the marketing of man, the ideals of man, the plans of man. And I'm tired of the plans of man. I'm tired of the marketing of man. I'm tired of all the things that we do and we put the emphasis on man and not on the Holy Spirit. And how we need the Holy Spirit in this age to heal our land. D.L. Moody said, those who have left the deepest impression on this sin-cursed earth have been men and women of prayer. Another quote, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better or new organizations or more novel methods, but men and women need the Holy Ghost, people of prayer, people who are mighty in prayer. Here's another one, Martin Luther To be a Christian without prayer is not any more possible than to be alive without breathing. Another one, Martin Luther. Work, work, work. This is a diary entry. From early until late. In fact, I have so much work to do today that I must spend the first three hours in prayer. The church constantly was in prayer, constantly seeking God, constantly in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was speaking to them. The Holy Spirit was telling them to do every great thing they ever did. There came a period of time, and I'm just going to go a little bit through history here. In fact, my first uh, point is great periods of time where prayer, prayer prevailed. I want you to begin to think about the period of Martin Luther... This was a period of time, in fact, he was a very devout Catholic. And he was a very strong believer. In fact, uh, he was thrilled to be in the service of the Catholic Church. And how many know he was the great reformer that pulled out of the Catholic Church? That basically exposed a lot of the things in the church that were not right. But he was a very devout man. He began seeking God and and really was tortured almost trying to figure out. And he began to study the Bible. He was very diligent studying the Scriptures. And he was so interested in serving the church because of his devotion to God that he got called to Rome. And on his way to Rome, he was disgusted. 
He began driving on his way to Rome, and every time he seen the monks and the priests, they had so much. They, they lived so extravagantly. And they lived um, in a way that was um, wicked. And boy, his spirit just began to be troubled. I may have ever been that way. You look at the world around you and you're just troubled. You look at the church in some areas and you just say, man, this is not how God intended it to be. This is not what God wants. This is not what our nation was intended to be. And he began to be troubled, but he said to himself, when I get to Rome, my faith will be restored. And as he got to Rome, he began to look around the city and the headquarters of the Catholic Church, and he just became more and more and more disturbed and more sick in his heart. And it says that he went to a room, a secret room, and he just locked himself in and had a season of prayer, seeking the face of God. And it says that season of prayer when he emerged from that prayer room in that tower, the Reformation began. The Spirit of God came upon him in prayer, and there became a boldness in that man like a lion, and the Spirit of God led him, and that Reformation touched the entire world. How many know that? We went on a little farther in our nation. And as we begin to, you know, maybe the, some people say as early as the mid-1600s, which was about a hundred years after Luther, revival fires began to die down. And there was a period called the period of enlightenment. Enlightenment. The world felt like they were enlightened. That's good volume. I should use that. Wow. This, so this actually amplifies me. I didn't realize that. Those for looks. Um, the period of enlightenment is the period where reason, human reason, replaced the church. There were scientific advancements. There were philosophical advancements. There were people that believed that their reason, human reason, was so strong that people quit going to church. And the revival fires died down and the enemy came in and the enemy began to destroy our culture again. And you know, there was a man that began to seek God. He was very devout. And actually one day he was sitting in a discussion and it was actually the preface to the book of Romans written by Martin Luther. He was going in hearing them talk about righteousness and talking about God and 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 John Wesley was sitting there listening to that and something inside of his heart said I am not right with God and the spirit of God because this man was devout in prayer he kept praying and praying and praying and the presence of God exposed his heart and he said I don't feel right with God and the Holy Spirit came in and something came in his heart and he didn't understand it. He said, I felt strangely warm. And he felt like he had a born-again experience. John Wesley began to reach out to his brother Charles who would write over 300 songs. Then Charles Wesley and John Wesley reached out to George Whitfield, a mighty preacher. 
And these men, on the foundation of prayer, seeking the face of God, their whole foundation was built on prayer and fasting. That's what they built that whole ministry on was prayer and fasting. And do you know that God changed the entire culture? God began to move in a way that we hadn't seen God move before. Then after them, the revival fires after 50, 100 years start to go down again. But then people that are called by my name begin to be raised up again. People like Dwight Moody, D.L. Moody, R.A. Torrey. Some of these men of God began to base their entire ministry on prayer began to seek God, and the Holy Spirit began to come upon them. Early 1900s, revival fires began to wane again. But a group of Methodist and holiness congregations got together and began to seek the Spirit of God. Began to seek the face of God. And you know the Spirit of God came upon that group at Azusa Street. And you know what? Hundreds of millions of lives have been transformed because a few people got together and began to seek the face of God. And so now it brings us to today. And you look back at these movements of God and every time there's one consistent theme and it's continual prayer. There's just no way around it. There's no other common denominator that I can look at and say this is how God changes the world around us except people that are willing to seek God and willing to pray and willing to do the work with no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts. You've got to be in the presence of God. You've got to seek His face. And that's the only way that we're going to see our families change. It's the only way we're going to change. It's the only way our nation is going to change. It's the only way that our world will change. Otherwise, the enemy is unstoppable. And when we pray, we're unstoppable. That's as simple as it is. So what happens when a person begins to pray? You say, well, food is blessed. Blessed is food. Amen. You have a blessed meal. Or, I'm going to sleep well tonight. Lord, lay, now I lay me down to sleep. I'm going to have a good night's sleep. That's not the prayers we're talking about. We're talking about lives. In fact, here's one thing that really spoke to me. I was reading the, the, the book by Dr. Cho, and he said, he said, when you're driving a car, and you hit the gas, the car has power. And he said the car begins to be propelled and begins to move. And he said there have been periods of time where men and women have sought God, they push the pedal and they begin to have power in their church, power in their community, and then once the thing began to move, they let go of the gas. And he said, and it's still moving, Right? We're still moving, we're still doing great things for God, but you let go of the gas pedal a long time ago. And you're slowing down. You completely stop. And he said the problem with revival praying is they don't make a lifestyle out of it. 
They don't make a practice of being in the presence of God for a lifetime and delighting in His presence. And he said, when you fall in love with His presence, he said, you never go out of revival. I can't say it like he does. When you make a lifetime of prayer, you never go out of revival. Hallelujah. And we've seen revivals come and we've seen them go. They've been in revival since 1980. <laughs> he said that I, this is, looks like from 79. And he said at that time, 10,000 people were on Prayer Mountain every weekend, sometimes 20,000. Every weekend in prayer grottoes, seeking God separately, fasting and praying every weekend. He said it was their lifestyle, it was their joy to sit in those prayer grottoes and seek God not only for their church but around the world. And they would come there every week seeking God. Oh man, that excites me. That thrills me to hear that. Praise God. When you begin to pray, the first thing that you'll notice is prayer produces power. So I, what I have to do as a pastor, the Spirit of God has to build a desire in our hearts. The Spirit of God has to so move in this church that desire begins to build up. And we begin to understand, when we begin to understand and wrap our arms around the fact that it's only through prayer then God will begin to build a desire for prayer. But without prayer, there is no power. Without prayer, there's no power. You say, well, what about Moses? He had power. The plagues came upon Egypt at the prayers of Moses. Moses prayed, the plagues came upon Egypt. Moses prayed, the Red Sea parted. Moses was a man of prayer. Everything that Moses did from the burning bush where he was called by God till the last little moment he sat on the mountain looking at the promised land, he was a man of prayer. He was a man, every part of his life was prayer. And that's why Moses had the power and the ability and the authority to do the things that he did is because he was a man of prayer. You say, well, what about Joshua? Joshua came along, and man, there was never a military general like Joshua. I mean, the strategies that he employed, the things that he did, there wasn't an enemy, listen to me, there wasn't an enemy that could stand up to Joshua. Think about that spiritually. There wasn't an enemy in this world like David, like Moses. There wasn't an enemy that could stand up in front of these people of God. You say, well, it doesn't really say whether Joshua was a praying man. Except when Moses was on the mountain praying, Joshua, it makes a note, was at the bottom of the mountain also praying. When he was in the, he, when he was in the presence of God, Joshua didn't even want to leave. Joshua was a man that heard God's voice. Joshua was a man that loved the presence of God. Every order that Joshua ever gave to his men was from the Lord. Joshua was a man of prayer. Give me a few other ones. David. You know, David would sit there as a shepherd, and he was probably the greatest musician in the land. 
So great was he as a young shepherd, as a musician. He'd sit in the presence of God and a pastor just worshiping his heart out. Loved to worship God. And you say, well, how do you know that? Because when Saul needed somebody to run the evil spirits out, he was so demon-possessed, he would call David to sing and every evil spirit would depart. The Bible says that. And David would sit in the presence of God and he would worship and he would worship and he would worship. So much so he would worship that anything that stood in his way in that pasture had no power to defeat David. It doesn't matter if it was a bear. It doesn't matter if it was a lion. It doesn't matter if it was a big, ugly giant. Nothing could stand in front of David because he worshipped in the presence and the power of, of God. Now David becomes king. The first act that David does when he is king is God says, in fact, uh, I wrote it down, maybe I didn't. Psalm 31. No, that's not it. It's later in my notes. But David says that Zion is the place that God desires for his presence. God was speaking to Daniel, and Daniel, for some reason, takes the Ark of the Covenant and puts it in Jerusalem. And for 40 years, David worships in what's called the Tent of David. The book of Acts quotes that period of time and says, when the Spirit is falling in Acts, that's restoration of that tent that David had. Where the Spirit's going to be poured out upon Gentiles for all the world to be drawn to God. And so David began to worship, began to praise. He was a man of prayer. Everything that David did was by a prophetic word directly from the Spirit of God. He was a man of prayer. We go on, Elijah. Elijah was in one of the darkest periods of the nation of Israel, Ahab and Jezebel. Elijah was a man that prayed so much that when God called him into heaven that they looked on every mountaintop in the area to try to find Elijah because he was on, always on the mountaintop praying and fasting. He was a man of prayer. And then I go to Jesus. How many times do we see Jesus, who was the Son of God, emptied Himself and came from heaven itself? How many times do we see Jesus Christ getting away to pray? For a big decision, He goes up in the mountain and prays. He comes down after being praying for a long period of time. He prays so long they're falling asleep. If He needs to pray, how much do we need it? If He needs to pray like that, how much do we need it? Oh, we. Oh, I'm really late. Sorry. If you uh, need, to, need to go somewhere, you've got a schedule. I can dismiss you now, but I'm, I'm just getting into this. I'm sorry. Another thing that happens, not only get power in prayer, but you become broken in prayer. One thing you notice, every time somebody gets in the presence of God, why do we need to be in the presence of God? Because every time somebody truly gets in the presence of God, I'm not talking about goosebumps. I'm not talking about a good worship service, which it can be that way. I'm talking about you're in worship and you really sense His presence. And when you see that in the Bible, they're undone. They see themselves for what they really are. They see their natural ability to be in His presence not being enough. 
And so what happens when you get in God's presence is you recognize all of your shortcomings, which is a beautiful thing. I recognize every bad attitude. I, I recognize every sin that God is not pleased with. I recognize all the emotions that aren't godly emotions. And, and if we don't get in God's presence, we'll serve God in pride. And the Bible says that pride cannot coexist with brokenness. Brokenness and pride. God resists the proud, but He draws close to the brokenhearted. You can't be both. Either he's drawing to you or he's resisting you. You can't be both. He can't be like, I don't know. Maybe I'll resist him. Maybe I'll be close to him. They can't coexist. Either he's resisting you because you're proud or he's close to you because you've been broken. He said, man, I don't know if I want to be broken. Broken is better than being crushed. Listen to this. Jesus said to them in Matthew 21, 42, Have you never read the Scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That's him. That's Jesus. He says, the Lord has done this and it's marvelous in your eyes. Therefore, I tell you this, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce fruit. And then he says, anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but anyone who f- on whom the stone falls, they will be crushed. You're either being broken to pieces to be rebuilt, or you're being crushed. And God in His presence, and you say, man, I don't want to hear this. I want to hear positivity. I want to hear positivity. Give me good quotes that are positive quotes, encouraging quotes, and and just things that make me feel good all over. You want me to tickle you? Can I tickle you while I'm talking? Yeah, tickle me Elmo. I'm not going to do that. That'd be, you don't want me tickling him, him giggling, right? But, I'm alright being creepy. <laughs> That's mystique. Right. But God wants us to want to be in His presence. Because if we want to be in His presence, and we want to know all those things that can't be in His presence, we're going to change. And God wants us to change in His presence. God wants us to love His presence. God wants us to sit in His presence and say, God, what's not right within my heart? Created me a clean heart. And the Spirit wants us to be in His presence and God transforms His people in His presence and that's why it's a preclude to any revival. You can't have revival in your land unless we're in His presence, and you can't have revival unless you're broken to bring the revival. It just, they go hand in hand. Praise the Lord. How many are excited I'm going long? Hallelujah. Prayer breaks satanic power. I've got several verses to read here, but let me sum it up. Isaiah and Ezekiel talks about Satan. Satan had plans to make this his kingdom. Satan heard in the garden that his kingdom was threatened and will be destroyed by man. I mean, no, that doesn't make man very popular with Satan. Satan wants to destroy man. He wants to destroy our dominion. He wants to destroy our authority. He wants to destroy our power because we are a threat to him. If that Messiah comes through the church... If that Messiah comes on this earth and does what He's going to do, then His kingdom is destroyed 
And he is going to hell. And so in order for him to succeed, he must destroy us. He must destroy any part of revival he's going to see in this world. He'll keep you from doing a lot of things. There's a lot of things in church that he doesn't care whether you do or not. But there's one thing that he does not want you to do, and that's pray. Because if his people seek his face, God will aggressively come for his people, and he will heal our land. If we begin to pray, we assert the power, the dominion, and the authority that he's called us to as kings. He's called us to have authority, and the only way to exercise the authority is through prayer. Daniel was sitting there, and Daniel recognized in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 25.12, But the seventy years when they are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation. The land of the Babylonians for their guilt, declares the Lord, and I will make it desolate forever. Daniel had this in his heart. So he began to seek God, he began to fast, he began to pray, he began to assert the authority over that promise. And it said after 21 days there was no answer yet. And all of a sudden the prince of um, Prince of Persia came and one of the angels of the Lord came and had to battle for 21 days with the prince of Persia, a demon. And for 21 days there was a war in the heavenlies because he was trying to see the authority of that scripture come to pass. He knew that God was going to set the people free. He knew that there was a promise there. He was holding on to it. For 21 days the heavenlies were full of war because of Daniel. He was asserting his authority as a king. And the angel even said, I've got to go back now. I've had help from Michael, the prince. And i got to go back, and now the king of Grecia is going to fight me. The king of Grecia and the king of Persia is fighting over one man's prayers. What do you think happens when you start to pray? There is a war in the heavenlies. Everything that happens in this world is done through prayer. So if I can keep God's people from ever praying and knowing who they are, I've got complete authority in this world, says the enemy. So God is trying to raise up people that understand spiritual authority. They understand that satanic forces can be destroyed in this city, in your home, in your life, if we begin to pray and we begin to delight in the Lord. Boy, we need to learn how to hear the Word of the Holy Spirit. We have to learn to break through. And you say, well, how do you do it? You sit in a room and you hear the tick of the clock. Tick, tick. Some of you have never done it. It's the only noise you hear in that room sometimes. Tick, tick. Well, what am I doing here? I'm staying here till I hear from the Lord. Tick, tick. Well, this is a waste of time. Yeah, the enemy wants you to think that. Well, I'm not doing anything here. Well, I want action, man. I'm a man of action. Tick, tick. I'm not moving until I hear from you, Lord. Yeah, I'm stubborn that way. I'm not leaving until I hear from you, Lord, for my life. I'm not leaving until I hear from you for my family. I said there's no shortcuts. That's it. That's how Daniel did it. You ever seen the picture of Daniel? He'd draw the curtains open, and at a certain time of the day, he was always there praying. Oh, no, I don't know if I can do that. You'll love it. Trust me. 
You'll begin to love it when you begin to do it. You've just never done it. Praise God. So anyway, let me go on here. I got a lot to cover. I'm sorry. How did I do? How did I get so far behind? Number four, prayer is the open door of the Holy Spirit. This is a big one. This is a huge one. I can't even go past this one. First Corinthians two twelve. What we have received is not from the Spirit of this world, but from the Holy Spirit, who is from God. So we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not words taught by human wisdom, but words taught by the Spirit. Explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. He's talking again. The Holy Spirit is trying to make you understand things that nobody in this world can understand. Only the Spirit can teach it. Now how is the Spirit going to teach you if you don't know how to pray? You say, well, I know how to pray. God is good. God is great. Thank you for this food. Amen. That's not prayer. It's a good prayer and it may have some value to it. I'm not saying it doesn't have value, but I'm saying prayer's two ways. We're talking about fellowship with the Holy Spirit and hearing His voice, being sensitive to His Spirit and knowing what He sounds like, knowing when He speaks, knowing the Holy Spirit. We go again. Philippians 2.1, And if there be for any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit. Fellowship of the Spirit. I've had fellowship in a fellowship hall and eating food, but what's the fellowship of the Spirit? Same thing. I sit with Him and I talk with Him. I sit with Him and I get to know Him. I sit with Him and I begin to know His voice, begin to know what He thinks. Fellowship with the Spirit. relationship and communion with the Holy Spirit brings ministry gifts and manifestations of the Spirit. When I begin to know the Holy Spirit, He begins telling me what my purpose is in the body of Christ. He begins giving me gifts. And a gift is only so good as you manifest it to the world. So everybody has a gift, and that means everybody will manifest the gift. They'll make it obvious that they have the gift. Now listen to this. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you be ignorant. Ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. That means you're ignoring spiritual gifts. And as long as the church ignores spiritual gifts, the church won't do anything that God wants us to do. You say, well, how do I get a spiritual gift? Maturity in the Spirit. When I begin to know the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit begins to develop through maturity gifts in me. And the church needs my gift. Each person here has a gift in the Holy Spirit. And if we don't find out what that is, this church will hurt. If I'm supposed to have all the spiritual gifts, or Eddie, or the board, or, or your, your husband or your wife, or we've got individuals we prop up, they're spiritually gifted. If that's what it is, this church will suffer and we won't reach the world. But the Bible says, let me go on here. 1 Timothy 4.14 says, Do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Progress means you're maturing. 
1 Corinthians 12.18, But now God has set members, every one of them in the body as it has pleased Him. That's all of us. Given these gifts in chapter 12 to everybody in the body, and He wants us to come to maturity where we begin to use our gifts. Ephesians 4.11, So God Himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. For what? What did He give us for? To equip the people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. The only way the body of Christ is going to be built up and people begin to operate in their gifts is through prayer and through the Holy Spirit maturity. Then everybody, can you imagine what this place would be like if everybody purely is operating in their gifts? And we're going out of this place operating in the gifts of the Spirit. Well, what are some of the gifts of the Spirit? 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Now to each one of you, is a manifestation of the Spirit. It's given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. Wow. How many think a a spirit of wisdom supernaturally coming from the Holy Spirit would help this world? To another one, a message of knowledge. To another one, uh, by means of the same Spirit. To another, by the same Spirit, Faith, supernatural faith, the same Spirit. That means the same Spirit's energizing this body and people are maturing because they're praying, they're digging in, they're breaking through the silence and saying, God, I must hear Your voice. I have to learn how to pray. It's more important than anything we can do in this church is learning how to reach heaven, learning how to hear His Spirit, learning how to grow in our ministry gifts, and to go out those doors and be operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. There are some of you that have the operation and the manifestation of supernatural faith, and you're going to lay hands on somebody like Peter and John, and you're going to say, rise up and walk. Why? Because the same Spirit told me to do it. Some of you are going to have a word of wisdom that's going to dramatically change this church. And if you dig in and you begin to hear the Holy Spirit and use your gifts, you're going to speak that word and everybody in this house is going to know that there's a real God. And there's going to be revival in the house because of that word of wisdom. That word of knowledge is going to be manifested. And you say, well, go ahead, Pastor, you do it. No, you do it. You do it. You sit in a prayer room with me. Let's sit there together and let's shut our mouths and let's begin to seek God. Let's let God begin to speak to us. Let us all begin to manifest. I want to manifest. I want to manifest the Spirit. I want the Spirit to work through me, do supernatural things for the equipping and the building up of the church of God. Hallelujah. Another one has a gift of healing by the same Spirit. Another one miraculous powers to another one prophecy, to another one distinguishing of spirits or discernment of spirits, to another speaking different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. All these work together by the same spirit. Then he goes on and he says, end of chapter 12, he says, covet earnestly the best gifts and I will show you a more excellent way. He doesn't say I want to show you a more excellent thing. Love isn't the more excellent thing, it's the more excellent way. So covet spiritual gifts, want them really, really badly. But go the way of love with them where it's not building you up, 
But it's all for the church of Christ. It's all for advancing this gospel. It's all for healing our land. And that's why love has to be incorporated in this. Love is the most excellent way because it's all a heart that is ablaze with love that says, God, I covet your spiritual gifts because I love people. I want to see this world healed. I want to see my land healed. And it's because of love that you will sacrifice your time and sit in a room and listen to... Because eventually the Spirit of God will fill that room. Eventually that Spirit of God will begin to speak to you. The Spirit of God will begin to call you. The Spirit of God will become your best friend. The Spirit of God will begin to fellowship with you. I'm even going longer, man. Who's excited I'm going longer? Woo! Hallelujah. And again, everybody's welcome to leave. Don't make me... Don't feel bad if you do, because some people have places to go. Three kinds of prayer. I was reading Dr. Cho. First kind of prayer, God says you need to ask, you need to seek, you need to knock. Asking is the prayer of petition. Seeking is the prayer of um, oh, devotion. Knocking is the prayer of intercession. Three kinds of prayers Jesus talks about. Ask, seek, knock. Okay, Dr. Cho was walking around and he said he was in poverty. He was in Korea right after the Korean War and there was poverty. And he was sitting around in poverty and he said, uh, there's three things I need, Lord. And God was saying, anything you ask that you're in need of, I will give. And he said, I was troubled by that because we were all impoverished. And I was a new believer and I was impoverished. And he said, ask, ask David. And, and I will provide that for you. And he said, okay, God, I'm going to try it. And he said, I need a bike, I need a desk, and I need a chair. And he said, in that area, nobody had bikes. He needed to get around to be able to preach the gospel. He said, nobody had desks. He said, you didn't have a thing to even set your book on. They were so poor. Nobody in the community had those kind of things. And a chair. He said he prayed and sought God, fasted and sought God, prayed and fasted for six months. No bike, no chair, no desk. And he began to see God more. He began to pray fast. And he said, God, why? And he said, God told him, you never told me what kind. And he said, I began to learn that God wants me to be detailed when I pray. And he said, God, he said, those American bikes are the best. There's three kinds. He said, the American bike is the, the most sturdy. He said, I want one of those American bikes. He said, in a mahogany desk from the Philippines, and then he said, I want one of those chairs, but I want wheels on it so I can roll around like a big shot in my hut. And so he went to church that day, and through prayer, God had filled him with, um, he believed he already had it. He believed that he had already received it, but he hadn't yet. But when he was preaching, he said, I made the mistake of making the people believe that I already had it. And he said, Three guys after the service came up and they said, can we see it? We've never seen a bicycle. We've never seen a, you know, we want to see it. So he said, so he said, even on the way to his house, he was still confident that he already had it. And then he got there and opened the door and of course he has nothing. He's in poverty. And he said, nothing in his house. And they go, well, where's it at, pastor? And he goes, right when they said it, he said, the Spirit of God told me 
Point to your belly. And he said, it's right here. And they said, what do you mean we don't understand? And he goes, I am pregnant with bicycle, desk, and chair. And he said, and that's when I learned asking is like being pregnant. He said, God is the only one that can put the seed in there of a promise that he's going to fulfill. And when the seed gets in your belly, he said, then you nourish it with prayer every day. And he said, I began to nourish and I learned how to ask specifically. I learned how to receive the seed of promise and I learned how to nourish in my heart what God wanted to give me already. And he said, as I began to walk through the village, the little kids would laugh and and said some of the people would come up and rub his belly and they said, there's our pregnant pastor. And he said, it wasn't too long after that, God supernaturally blessed him with a bike, a desk, and a chair. Praise God. So asking. Some people think that God doesn't want us to ask because it says when you pray, don't babble like the pagans. They think that they've been heard with their many words. Don't be like them. The Father knows what you need before you ask Him. That's not telling you not to ask. That's just saying don't be repetitious when you pray. But Jesus actually asked, tells us to ask. He tells us, uh, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. John 16.23, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. He's saying ask, right? John 16.27, no, the Father Himself loves because you have, He loves you because He loved me and has, have believed that I came from God. Matthew 7.11 says, if you then are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? We have to ask for salvation, right? He provides it, but He wants us to ask for it. We have to ask for wisdom. In James 1.5 it says, If you lack wisdom, ask, and God will give it. Ask for revival, right? It says, I will um, ask ye the Lord for rain in the time in the latter rain. The Lord will bring bright clouds and give them showers of rain to everyone who asks. So God wants us to ask. Prayers of petition. God wants us to read a promise. He wants the Spirit to come upon us. He wants to put a seed in our heart and He wants us to nurture that seed until we see it. Let me know that. Second one, seek. This is the prayer of devotion. It says in Deuteronomy 4.29, but from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find Him if you seek Him with all your heart and all your soul. Are we seeking God with all our heart and all of our soul? That's the question I have today for me. Psalm 132.13, For the Lord has chosen Zion, desired it as His dwelling place. There's that David Scripture. John 16, He shall glorify me, for He will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said He will take of mine and He will declare it to you. This is devotional. I'm seeking your face, God. I want to know what you know, God. I want you to reveal to me. I want to know the treasures that you have for me. It goes on and it says, He who keeps my commandments and loves me, he who loves me has loved my Father and I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. John 14.21 John 4.23 But the hour is coming and now is where true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. The Father is seeking such to worship him. Colossians 2 
in whom all treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. God has hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are waiting for us in His presence. We'll seek Him. And the last one. I know I'm way over. Ryan, you guys can come on up. I'm going to close at the end of the message and you can spend time worshiping or you can be dismissed. But the prayer of intercession. Those are the Scriptures I started with. If my people were called by my name will seek my face. I can't find somebody to stand in the gap. There is none. There is a knocking that God wants His people to do for this community. And you say, what is that? It's God opening doors. Just like we sought God for our needs and got good at seeking God, God will call an intercessor who will seek on somebody else's behalf and God will open the door in an individual. He'll open the door in a community. Guess why? Because an intercessor is praying for God to put the seed there to start it all. Revival will never happen in this church until intercessors first take the seed, water it, let it grow, nurture it, and see this thing happen in this church. When Jesus was born and Jesus began to come into this world, there were two people that were waiting for Him. And both of them were intercessors. I have the Scripture, but I can't read it because I'm late. Simeon and Anna, they made a point to say that they were waiting for Him to come because they had been praying for Him their whole lives. Some people can receive the blessing of God for themselves, but some get so mature in His presence that they can begin to receive the seed and the blessing for their church. They can nurture for their church. They have so much love and so, and they coveted so much those spiritual gifts that they can receive that seed for their son. They can receive it for their daughter. You're going to see people come from the north, south, east, and west The people begin to intercede. The people begin to cry out if they begin to let God birth something in them for this community. Intercession will bring people into this house. They'll walk into this parking lot and they'll say, man, I can't resist it. God led me to this place and I want to give my heart to the Lord right now. You don't have to say a word. And it's because of intercession. Revivals happen because of intercession. Salvations happen because of intercession. Anything that God's going to do to this church, He's going to speak prophetically to us in prayer or we don't receive it. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Stand your feet. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord. Lord, I just cry out, Lord God, and I pray that You would... uh, Begin to sow seeds in our intercessors, Lord. Lord, the desire will begin to grow to be in your presence, Lord God. Lord, a hunger that's bigger than anything, Lord God. Bigger than, more delightful than anything that's out there in the world, Lord God. A desire to know you, a desire to be with you, a desire to minister to you, to bless you, Lord God. Father, I pray that you begin to pour your spirit upon your sons and your daughters, Lord. Oh, Father, that they would begin to prophesy, Lord God. Oh, Father, that you would begin to fulfill, Lord God, that the tent of David would be restored, Lord. Oh, the power of God would be released in this house, Lord God. 
Lord, do mighty things in the hearts of your people, Lord. Oh, do mighty things in the hearts of your people, Lord God. Lord, I pray a blessing upon these people as they worship and as they leave, Lord God. Pour your blessing upon them, Lord God. You are irresistible, Lord. Hallelujah.